Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a jam-packed show for you this morning. Eddie Fitz, Sabil Reto, Eddie and Sabil in the morning. We love it. We love it. Uh, Sabil, how are you doing? Another week in, another week down, another one. What feels like a lot more to go. Joe, we have some amazing topics for today. Um, and yeah, it's another week of the semester. It's definitely starting to feel a lot more like college. You know, last week was kind of chill. We only had classes from Thursday, I mean, Wednesday to Friday, and it was just inter introductory stuff. But um, yeah, it's starting to feel like, you know, college time. So it feels like college time. And it doesn't feel like college without a university-wide email explaining their new COVID-19 policies, because that happened this week at Hofstra University. Uh, students received um, emails expressing a lot of different things that uh, has been going around. Clearly, there has been some indication in the data that this was necessary, backslash your reaction to uh, how many different things are going around. Um, one of the biggest limitations I saw was that students, even in off-campus settings, cannot host or have social gatherings of more than 10 people. And so, you know, that's a, sort of what I wanted to, to jump into today. We didn't really talk about that before the show a little bit, but um, it's a, it, it feels really difficult to me for the university to, to try and corner what people do in their homes a little bit like because yeah they only exactly. really have we're such a big commuter school and like that is partially why we had to have a vaccine and wear masks to come back to come back to school because nassau county is not hostile university it's not a bubble so i don't know i like do you think that there's like going to be an effective way to, to measure this other than people just calling it out or when I think cases emerge? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think the only thing that, the only way that they could track what people are doing is like, if someone, I guess, sees a post on social media, like Snapchat or Instagram stories, and like contacts the university, I don't really know how they can like track what students are doing off campus. Yeah. That's, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, there's been a lot of reaction from the gen pop, the student population here at, uh, at Hofstra. Lots of mixed reactions, I will say. Um, mm -hmm. But once again, all thoughts and opinions stated here on Hofstra's Morning Wake Call do not reflect those of 88.7 FM, Radio Hofstra University, the Board of Trustees, or the university itself. So we're covered. Um, <laughs> Now that we got that out of the way, we got a jam-packed show. Uh, we got Dexter back on. He's going to cover a international, another international couple of stories for us. Uh, we've got a lot of vaccine stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about the Robert E. Lee statue getting removed in Virginia. But first, we were talking about it a little bit yesterday, or last week. Uh, I will say the Mu variant is now in 49 different states. Dr. Fauci has said that he's keeping a close eye on it, not necessarily trying to stir up any type of commotion over anything, but mm -hmm. from your readings, Sibyl, and from what you've been seeing, like, I'm not going to ask you, should you be, should we be concerned? You're not a medical professional, but <laughs> 
did you feel any type of concern or any type of uh, hesitancy or even just a bit of worry now that you're just like, oh, my God, another variant? What is what is this? Yeah, I mean, I'm I've been pretty concerned about the variants because it's becoming more and more of a problem. And Dr. Fauci has said that, like, as long as, you know, we're in this like phase of the pandemic, like as long as we're still like in this pandemic, the more the worse the variant might hit us. Um, there was actually an interview with Dr. Fauci that Axios did. And in this interview, Dr. Fauci said that Americans are getting infected at 10 times the rate needed to end the pandemic. <laughs> the long, like I said, the longer it takes to end this pandemic phase, the bigger the chance will end up with a monster variant that is extremely transmissible and from which the current vaccine cannot protect us. Infectious disease experts are saying that we are still in full pandemic mode until cases dip to 10,000 cases a day. Currently, the U.S. is seeing an average of 160,000 cases per day. Um, so That's a difference in number. Very big difference. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, you're right. Uh, eventually, there, if you allow a virus to spread from vaccinated to unvaccinated to vaccinated to unvaccinated, to vaccinate, to vaccinate, to unvaccinate, mm -hmm. to unvaccinated. Eventually, the disease learns how to beat your body, right? Like that's what exactly. that's, the, that's the point. The more you leave it hanging around, the more it's going to be in there. The more it's going to understand you. The more it's going to be contagious. That's why the Delta variant is so highly contagious. It learned how to spread at such a rapid pace, right? And if we are going to do a better job of making sure that we are following pandemic protocol and trying to get down at those 10,000 cases a day. We got to keep an eye on these variants because eventually yeah. one of them is going to beat the vaccine. That's what happens. Exactly. Uh, eventually it's going to become way too powerful and then you end up with a disease that's not only killed uh, over half a million U.S. citizens, but uh, but even more in 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 the future. Like we're coming again to flu season. What happened last year? All of, yeah. all winter, as soon as we hit Thanksgiving, it was they cases on the rise, cases on the rise. And we take a look at this year. What happened this summer? We thought we were having a hot vac summer, and then we <laughs> did Fourth of July. And no, then, exactly. And then 4th of July, over. Summer is done. And, and all the cases went right back up. People, I, 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 like, and so this goes back to what we were talking about before with the schools sending out, trying not to, trying to limit off-campus events is, uh, you know, we can't stay away from each other. As much as Americans want to believe that, like, we can be good little boys and girls mm -hmm. uh, and everything in between, um, we can't stay away from our families and friends during the holidays. Like, that's just not how it happens. And eventually, like, this is just, it's just going to be here more and more. Like, we're just going to be stuck with this. And like, yeah. I think I was saying it I yesterday. Hope not. Like, eventually, I'm not saying that COVID is the flu. But what I'm saying is eventually it will be treated very similarly to how we treat the flu. If we can get it down to a reasonable rate where it's still within the society, but weakened and are almost eradicated, you know, like.
I don't know. Yeah, wh- I mean, what do you think? Dr. Fauci has been saying that cases need to go down to 10,000 cases since August of 2020. Right. And, like, back then, cases were only at 50,000, which is very much less than they are now. So it's kind of just, like, interesting to me that cases are now at over 100,000 and, like, at a time when the U.S. is mostly opened back up or opening back up. So, like, my thing is, like, is the U.S. going to have to shut down again? But then even when things were mostly shut down back in January, we still did get up to 300,000 cases per day back um, back then. So... I don't know. It really, like you were saying, it really just comes down to taking the, the vaccine. That's the most we can do. But at this point, only only a little over half of Americans are fully vaccinated. And when you compare that to all the cases, like, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure there's only like the U.S.'s population is only like 500,000 people. So 160,000 cases per day versus 500,000 population like that's a large percentage of the population. I feel like that should be convincing enough to get the vaccine, but apparently it's not. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's jump into the next little bit of pandemic news as well now. Um, ivermectin. Oh, man, Sibyl. <laughs> ivermectin. Um it is a drug that is used to treat horses, and there has been uh, recent uh, developments on social media and from a couple of big name so uh, big name platform users on social media, uh, which I'll we'll get into later. Convincing people that ivermectin, which again is a drug meant for horses, is a suitable way to treat COVID nineteen, a disease mm-hmm. that has no cure. Uh, at this moment in time, like I don't know, man. Like I, to me, it feels like if they would have came up with a cure for this thing, they would be screaming it for them like the rooftops. Like they would yeah, be t- convincing everybody, like this is it, this is it. You'd be hearing it. It's not like this is gonna come out of some dark circle in like in, out of the internet where like there's the secret massive drug this the, the government doesn't want you to know about like yeah you know what i mean and, and these people are overdosing from it like these uh prescriptions for ivermectin have jumped to more than 88,000 per week and there are shortages in other places and mm-hmm. Again, it's meant for horses. What are we talking about here? It's not like all of these people are going out and, like, purchasing horses post-pandemic here. Yeah, definitely not. I don't know. That's, like, that's really scary news to me, but because it's so crazy, like, how easily influenced people are to do things that are so dangerous and with no scientific proof. I, I don't really know where their heads are at. Like, I don't know what would convince me to take a drug meant for horses. <sighs> I don't know. Let me let me jump into this next little bit. Um, Joe Rogan. Uh, he has a very popular podcast called The Joe Rogan Experience. It's on Spotify. Uh, mm-hmm. On that recent podcast and Instagram, uh, he put up a clip and said... We immediately said that when he had been diagnosed with COVID-19, he was using antiparasitic drugs 
like ivermectin to treat the illness. He said, we immediately threw the kitchen sink at the disease. All kinds of meds. He then listed a number of meds, including ivermectin, monoclonal, antibodies, an antibiotic, and a steroid that he used to treat his diagnosis. This was the guy who said, mm -hmm. if you are in your 20s and you're healthy and you eat right, you don't need the vaccine. Right. You can beat this thing. It seems to me like big tough Joe Rogan needs horse drugs to beat COVID. Yeah. So I like to me, he's only doing more damage to the discourse by saying these bombastic things and and hurting people with his ginormous platform, the biggest podcast yeah. ever, ever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This this is the guy who is so passive about like COVID and the vaccine, and yet like he's the one like as soon as he gets COVID. Now he's going above and beyond with these dangerous things and influencing people to do the same thing. Like, that's really upsetting that he has, like, such a large platform. And it's kind of seeming to do nothing but harm when it comes to COVID-19. It's used to treat, like, deworming horses. It's like an anti-parasitic yeah. treatment. So it's like... I don't see the connection. I, I guess the, the idea is that the parasite is COVID-19 and ivermectin treats parasites and it deworms you. So this will clear out your system. It's like, uh, I don't know, flushing out uh, mm -hmm. everything is, I guess, what it's supposed to be. Um, it's been used to treat humans in some conditions like head lice, but... COVID-19, currently not listed as a suitable treatment for ivermectin. Um, man, lots of pandemic stuff. Like it, Too much pandemic stuff. Honestly, I'm so sick of, like, I'm so sick of this pandemic. I'm honestly kind of tired of hearing about it, but we do have to keep talking about it because it's very much a present thing. Even though we want to, like, ignore COVID and pretend she doesn't exist, we can't because the numbers are showing that um, ignoring COVID-19 is not helping us. You know, I remember back in April, uh, May of 2020, and there were some, you know, uh, disease specialists um, who were cla calling that masks were going to be a thing for at least three years and that, like, you know, this yeah. pandemic is going to take a while for people to to get rid of and I was like really I mean we're doing the stay at home thing like vaccine is coming mm -hmm. like you know it feels like we should be we should be over this by now I think Americans are just exhausted it's the same thing that happened um with zoom in my opinion like everybody got on zoom and it was fine everybody turned their cameras on on zoom for like the first week and a half of mm -hmm. online classes it yeah. felt like during the pandemic because like everybody's like oh this is new like let's see that and then yeah. everybody quickly realized oh this is not zoom fun. yeah this is zoom so i'm gonna turn off my camera i'm gonna sit back like mm -hmm. i am zoom fatigued we are all covid pandemic we're fatigued we are fatigued individuals sabil very much so <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll have more international stories. We're going to talk some Trump, uh, Robert E. Lee. Could 
Robert E. Lee have single-handedly defeated Afghanistan. The answer, a wise next. Do not go anywhere. More morning wake-up call after this. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call on 88.7 FM, Radio Hofstra University. All thoughts and opinions stated here on Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call do not reflect the views of Hofstra University, 88.7 FM, WRHU, as well as its management. All contrasting views can be sent to programming at WRHU.org or to 111 Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York, 11549. Your morning show team will be back right after these updates. You're listening to Radio Hofstra University, available worldwide at WRHU.org. Long Island's largest radio news team brings you the Associated Press award-winning program, Newsline. Weekdays at 5.30 p.m. Exclusively on WRHU-FM and WRHU.org Radio Hofstra University. Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Morning wake-up call. And welcome back to the Wake Up Call, 88.7 FM, WRHU, and streaming live on WRHU.org from 8 to 9 a.m. in the morning. And if you somehow missed the show, or you missed a little bit of it, or maybe you just want to hear it again, tune in on Spotify. Look up Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. You'll find us. You'll see all the shows from this week. You'll see this show, whatever it goes live. You will not be able to miss it. We'll also have live, uh, full on uncut interviews uh, with all of our guests. It, it's a great place to be. Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts, really. Uh, we've got you. We'll find you at WRHU. <laughs> Let's jump into the next story of the day. Sibyl, you want to take us in? Yes. A statue of Robert E. Lee was taken down in Virginia. Um, Robert E. Lee was, of course, the Confederate general during the Civil War. The statue of Robert E. Lee was, that was located in Richmond, Virginia, was the biggest Confederate statue in the entire country. Mm-hmm. Former President Donald Trump expressed outrage yesterday at the removal of the statue, referring to Robert E. Lee as a unifying force. Trump also claimed that if Robert E. Lee were still alive to command our troops in Afghanistan, then that, quote, disaster would have ended in a complete and to- total victory many years ago. Mm. End quote. I mean, wow. We're, um, talking, we're talking many, many years ago. We're talking, yeah. <laughs> we're talking over 200 years ago. Yeah. Like almost but before, <laughs> many, be- many years ago. <laughs> before we get into the Trump statement, um, I want to know what you think, Eddie, about um, keeping up statues of Confederate leaders. Yeah. Do you think that some should still be kept up? You think that like they need to have their place. Like if you want to put it in like a Confederate great, uh, cemetery, if you want to put it in a museum, if you want to put it with historical context with it, I am all for having statues. Like to me, people don't learn from statues. People just take in from statues. Like when you like, I'm a big Philly guy. We have a whole statue dedicated to a movie. Like we have Rocky as a statue, like you know what I mean. Still, like you know what I mean. Like yeah. I, I'm not not dedicated to a movie, but like you know what I mean. Philly sports legend, yada yada yeah. yada. Um, that's who Philly has chosen to immortalize, Rocky. Uh, and so it says something a little bit about your area based upon what you want to present to your community and to people who are visiting your community. 
Exactly. I think that statues are only put up when you like to honor people, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that there's any other reason to build a statue of someone. So maybe at whatever time the Robert E. Lee statue was put up, like it was socially acceptable for him to be honored, even though, you know, that doesn't mean that it was right. But I think that once we move past the fact that like once we move past that era, you like we all know that slavery was wrong. No one there's no one who's going to like say that, oh, I agree with slavery. So a lot of times the argument is we keep the statue up for history. Why are you taking down history? What are you learning from a statue? If you want to like learn the history of the Confederacy, open a textbook, go to a library. There are a bunch of books about it, but you don't need to keep up these statues. Yeah. I like I completely agree, uh, especially not out in front of federal buildings or and like how tone deaf is that like to, to be a part of the United States of America and then to put like a Confederate statue or even mm-hmm. have like a Confederate flag like hanging out in front of like your state house or something like that. Like, yeah, that's of just, a like, man who <laughs> literally said left that the U.S. left the U.S. Yeah. And who was fighting for slavery, who was fighting yeah. for black people to be owned. Yes. Like, what does that say about the country we live in? Right. Uh, and so I will say that are you familiar with we were talking about why the era in which it was put up. Uh, are you familiar with the daughters of the Confederacy? Um, no, I don't think so. So the Daughters of the Confederacy were a group of women of young, aristocratic, um, post, like, the babies, the daughters of the, of, like, the dads who fought and died in the Civil War, right? Okay. So in order to maintain somewhat of their power structure, they organized together and they were the Daughters of the Confederacy. And so in the 19... 10s, 1920s, 1930s, they there was a major push right before the Great Depression to petition and build Confederate statues to preserve the legacy of the South, to preserve what the South was trying to fight for, so that eventually kids could be taught, uh, you know, a little bit more about the Confederacy, um, and so to an extent, you know, it's like you're taking down history we need to learn history and it's like i agree with you what the heck are you learning from a statue exactly. uh, and but, the same people who want the statue like capped up are the people who are against critical race theory yes so that too that that part too i think that's a little ironic that part too <laughs> that part too but if you're going to uh you know if you're going to have these statues up and, and we're talking about like you know for an educational purpose, for an ex- to like to an extent to a certain group of people, that is how they teach, right? Like, they they'll there will there you know there are sects of what I would call the Confederacy still out there. <coughs> Ooh, a good old sneeze for the morning. Um, Sibyl, <laughs> so can you please uh, elaborate a little bit more on Trump's comments? Uh, well, I get a tissue, please. Okay. Yeah, so the Trump comic comment, just to remind the people listening, he basically said that um, if Robert E. Lee were still alive to command our troops in Afghanistan today, that disaster would have ended in complete and total victory. So I think that there's something about, like, the former president saying that 
um, Robert, he also called him a unifying force, and he later in that same statement called him a genius. So I think that that's extremely problematic that someone who used to lead our country is calling someone who call, who looked at a large population of our country as commodity and as property, calling him a hero, calling him a genius, calling him a unifying force. So uh, there's definitely a lot to say about that. There's definitely something very problematic about that. Oh, you think? Yeah. You think? Just a yeah. little bit? Yeah, I actually do think so. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I agree with you on that on that front. Um, I think that there is um, I think that he's just divisive and he just he talks like he, he doesn't like we, we've been known this. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this dude just like has six bullet points in his mind and then tries to play like connect the dots like exactly. essentially. And so he sees Robert E. Lee. He thinks war. Wait, war? Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Biden bad. Biden bad Afghanistan. Robert E. Lee good. Statue good. Robert E. Lee win Afghanistan yeah. if had opportunity. Also, Robert E. Lee was the general of the losing side. Yes! So if he lost the Civil War, <laughs> what makes Trump think that he would win against <laughs> Afghanistan? So, I don't know. I just found, like, everything about that statement. It it wasn't even, like, as a black person, it wasn't even, like, offensive. It was just, like, stupid. Like, I don't know. I mean, it was offensive, but it was more, like, it was more of, like, like an wait, eye what? roll. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. The, um... The man who lost his re-election campaign picks the loser general to to be his general for Afghanistan. Yeah. Well, oh, man. I would say that I have nothing else to add on this this little story right here, this little ditty. Um, yeah, there's you, not much you can say about Not it. much it's else that we've got. interesting to bring up. Yeah, just a little bit of fun uh, to think about whether or not... Uh, we should have statues and what we need to honor. What it means to have a statue, I think, is the biggest takeaway that uh, the listeners should uh, think about here. Why Why do we have statues? What makes statues? And what are we doing by keeping them up? And what are we saying by leaving them there or fighting to keep them there? Um, 88.7 FM, Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call and streaming live on WRHU.org. Just hit that Listen Live button. Or if you listen on Spotify, thank you so much. Tune in live show, 8 to 9 a.m., WRHU. Dot org. We're going to go to the M. Night Shyamalan report. And by M. Night Shyamalan, I, of course, mean Dexter Shamoyan, Shamoy Violia. Uh, Dexter, how are we doing on this fine morning, my friend? Very good. Uh, and I guess I'll just get into my preview. I would love for you to get into your preview. You have, you have a lot of great stuff today. You talk with a lot of people this week. Oh, yeah. I talk... Uh, I talked with uh, Professor Kanatsu and Keith Scott, uh, both of whom are, you know, Hofstra University professors. Uh, with Kanatsu, I talk about the stepping down of Japan's prime minister and the upcoming election resulting and how it may affect the future of Japan, as well as Denmark removing all of their COVID restrictions outside of border controls and how that might potentially backfire because... That is a very risky maneuver. 29% of their country is still not fully vaccinated. So we'll see how that goes. Let's 
see how it goes right now to another Shmovonian report. Shmovonian report. Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga, in a move that shocked many, has announced that he will not run for re-election as Liberal Democratic Party leader. This decision comes after his administration's approval ratings fell to an all-time low, with his vaccine rollout and overall handling of the COVID-19 virus leading to his massive unpopularity. In a turn of events that makes Suga look even worse, since his stepping down, the Japanese economy has been rapidly improving. The Broad Topics Stock Index, a broad-based benchmark of Japanese stock prices, actually went up by 1.6% after reaching its highest level in three decades. Tokyo's financial markets have already made steady improvements ahead of the ruling party leadership race and general election in the hopes that the new regime is stronger than the last. Now to talk more on this topic is guest expert, Professor Takeshi Kanatsu. Hi, I'm Dexter Shmavonian here with Professor of Political Science at Hofstra University Takashi Kanatsu to talk about the recent resignation of Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga. Professor Kanatsu, welcome. Thank you very much. Before I dive into the main interview, do you have any opening thoughts on the topic for our listeners? Um, I think uh, this uh, resignation, oh, well technically it's not really a resignation, it's that uh, he's not going to run for the next party presidential election, party leader selection, and uh, given her his uh, declining popularity, it was a normal process for me. He, he steps down just a year after taking office from Shinzo Abe, and before Abe's, because when Abe was in power for eight years, that was actually his second stint, before his second stint, Japan went through six prime ministers in just as many years. How does this exit compare to what seemed like a revolving doors door of leaders in the not-so-distant past, and do you think this could maybe spark a return to that same level of instability? Uh, that's a very good question. I don't think it will be. Um, from the beginning, uh, he entered the prime ministership at the most difficult time, uh, where they really cannot provide a solution for COVID and uh, also uh, the Tokyo Olympic game was coming. So uh, it was a disappointment because when he became a prime minister, he was very popular. And of course, as you just said, right after the longest serving prime minister in the history of Japan after World War II, uh, this was a disappointment, but not something strange or extraordinary and I don't think it will return to that uh, difficult years for the LDP which is a liberal democratic party majority party had a revolving like every prime minister served only for one year now before we finish up I just want to ask you who do you think has who do you think has the best chance of being the next prime minister and who do you think should be the next prime minister? That's a very good question. Uh, Takaichi Sanae has a very, I think, very good chance to become a prime minister uh, because of um, Japan has been uh, criticized internationally for the lack of female uh, representation. 
so it will be a very good um, image. And also, as I just said, Abe is still very powerful uh, in the party. Uh, so that is another reason why he, she might be. On that note, uh, that's all I have. Professor Kanatsu, thank you for talking to me. Thank you very much. It was my honor to talk to you. Over in Europe, Denmark is set to remove all COVID-19 restrictions, claiming that the virus is quote-unquote under control. The government in Denmark has previously promised to not maintain COVID safety measures for longer than necessary. And according to Denmark's health minister, now is that time, stating, we are there now. Denmark had already removed any measures other than vaccination requirements at indoor public areas, all of which will be scrapped once the critical threat to society classification of COVID expires today. Though the numbers may show it is safe to remove these measures with 71% of the Danish population fully vaccinated, less than a thousand new cases emerging a day, and COVID-related deaths becoming rarer and rarer, the existence of new COVID variants could complicate things. Denmark's neighbor, the Netherlands, did something very similar to them only for the Delta variant to cause a 500% increase in case numbers over the span of a week. Risky as this may be, it is a sign of a potential return to normalcy, and if all goes well, it will leave Denmark as the first country in the world to successfully escape the pandemic. Now to talk more on this topic is adjunct instructor of popular health at Hofstra University, Keith Scott. Professor Scott, thanks for being on the show. So for my first question, obviously Denmark did something right in how they handled the pandemic just to reach where they are now. Probably more so than just about the rest of the world. What do you think everyone else can learn from Denmark as we try to get out of the pandemic? It seems like Denmark's approach was a community approach, and many in Denmark seem to be on the same exact page. You know, they had a very uh, efficient vaccine rollout where there was a lot of buy-in from the community. They had very, very strict restrictions early on, and it seemed like the um, country came together as, as one. And, and guidelines across the board, from my understanding, seem very similar in different regions of the country. Uh, the U.S. is obviously much bigger, a little different, uh, much more populated. So I think it's important that all of our communities come together in the fight against this. You know, um, that could be what was much different in Denmark versus here. Um, and you know, I think there was a general understanding about the importance of the vaccine and the importance of these mandates. Well, oh, yes, the mandates are uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable wear a mask. We're doing it for the better of the community. A lot of people in Denmark weren't anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers like there are here. From my understanding, it seems like there's a lot more community buy-in with the vaccine, with the mask, with the mandates, with the restrictions than we may have in certain regions here in the U.S. Now, a similar event to this, not very far away from Denmark, occurred around June in the Netherlands. They scrapped their COVID restrictions, but only for the Delta variant to cause case numbers to skyrocket by 500% over just a week. Do you think that the existence of new COVID variants could cause something similar to happen in Denmark? It definitely could. You know, I think as we're learning more about the virus, the virus is mutating and expanding more and more. So we don't know what's coming. And I think the more people are social, socializing and coming together and not wearing restriction, restrictive masks and everything else, we could see a resurgence. So it's really important in our community stay vigilant because you don't know what could come after the Delta variant. I hope nothing, but you know, time will tell. So we don't know what could come with uh, very loose restrictions. Okay, uh, Professor Scott, thanks for your time. Thank you so much.
right, take care. Take care. Okay, everyone, that is it for the Shmavonian Report. Big thanks to Keith Scott and Takashi Kanatsu for letting me interview them. And remember, stay shmavi. Stay shmavi. Oh, man. What a tagline, man. I can't get over you, Dexter. Dexter, lots of interesting tidbits of information in there. What was some of your biggest takeaways? We'll start with Japan with Kanatsu. What did you like talking about uh, the most with Professor Kanata? Well, I found I found that the f- the most interesting thing is after Suga stepped down, I mentioned it in the in the package, but Japan's economy has been going nuts since Suga stepped down. Mm-hmm. It's going way up, like uh, the broad topics index. It's a broad-based benchmark for the Japanese stock prices. It went up by 1.6, and it reached its highest level in three decades. The Nikkei went up, and they're at the highest point they've been at in months. It's, it's like this guy steps down, and just all of a sudden, everyone's rich or something. It, <laughs> yeah. it certainly does feel that way. And uh, how about Keith Scott? Well... On, on the Denmark topic, what I 71% of people vaccinated, and again, I mentioned this in the interview, that's a, that's a high number. But to completely remove all of your COVID restrictions outside of like travel bans and stuff, despite 29% of your adults being vaccinated and Again, only 71% of their adults are vaccinated. A lot of their children aren't vaccinated, and actually infection rates among Danish children are going up. So there's a strong possibility that the COVID virus can become an issue or, as they call, a critical threat to society, again in Denmark, through children, because they live with adults. Their children basically are never not around adults because they're children. Right. And they are at much higher risk for COVID. So, and again, the vaccines only really protect against the original version of COVID. Mm. They don't do that much when it comes to the Delta variant or other new variants of COVID. So it it's good that they're in a place where they feel comfortable doing this and that their population was able to buy in and just be like, okay, yeah, we need to do this. We got to do that. We got to get out of this pandemic. But it's very risky to just allow everything to go back to normal like it was in 2019. Yeah. Because there's still a solid chunk of adults not vaccinated and children are still at high risk and can very much spread it to adults. So we'll see what happens in Denmark. And if if you uh, remember what happened in Netherlands, I think uh, in the Netherlands, I think it was June, they did something very similar, only the Delta variant caused a 500% spike in, in COVID cases in just a week. Ooh. Yeah, uh, that Delta variant, contagious. So, yeah. It's no joke. <laughs> I... I, I hope all goes well for Denmark. I hope this works out and that there'll be, you know, 
happy little Danish people. I don't know what people do in Denmark. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see what happens. They eat Danishes, dude. Um, <laughs> in Switzerland, another international story from this week. Yeah. Tens of thousands pe- of people have protested <laughs> for gay marriage ahead of a September 26th national referendum that would legalize it with majority vote. It not only allows, uh, the referendum not only allows gay people in Switzerland to get married, but also adopt children and create easier access to sperm donations for lesbian couples. Um, Currently, gay couples in Switzerland are only able to get official approval for civil unions, which don't have the same standing as uh, traditional marriages in Switzerland. And... uh, Per SRF News, a total of 70 LGBTQ groups are in support of these protests. Now, Sabil, I'm going to ask you, you know, the U.S., and, and this, we'll bring Dexter on for this as well, um, but starting with Sabil, like, it feels kind of weird to me, like, when we, when we talk about now a little bit more LGBT rights and yeah. everything like that, because while there is still a struggle for equality here in the U.S., it feels like we, when we reach certain milestones that we're, we're ready to just sort of, like, let it go for a little bit. And I feel mm-hmm. like this has been a topic, like, LGBT plus rights. Like, now I think there's a much more focus on the spectrum of the LGBT plus community. Where yeah, I think that I think so. like there's been a focus on transgender rights or non-binary or you know working on making sure that their circles are respected. Mm-hmm. When we reach like the benchmark of gay marriage, right? Like it it just feels like, I'm like wow, Switzerland really like yeah. Honestly, hearing the story, I was kind of surprised because even though I don't know that much about Switzerland, I just thought they would have been more progressive maybe even more progressive than the U.S. because while the U.S. has legalized um, gay marriage for, I think, six years at this point, there's still, like, a lot to be done in the country for, you know, doing more to protect LGBTQ people and doing more for transgender rights, as we saw a a few months ago with Arkansas. They kind of went backwards with that. So... Yeah, I I was surprised that Switzerland hasn't, like, fully legalized um, gay marriage. I don't think that, at this point, gay marriage is completely banned. Um, It seems like uh, this ABC News article is saying, so far, same-sex couples in Switzerland can only get official approval for civil unions, which are not on equal footing as marriages. Um, But, like, still, I just thought that Switzerland would have been a lot more progressive, but I guess not. Dexter, you are a little bit more of an international guy, uh, one might say. Um, do you have a have a read on on the Swiss in, in terms of their overall political climate? Like, are they are they similar to the U.S. in terms of like having a having a left, a, a center, and a right, and just sort of like being a hodgepodge? Or do they have a, a more of a prim- primarily uh, dominant ideology. Well, I would agree with Sybil in that it's it's very surprising that it it's taken them this much longer than the U.S. to get this done. And again, they haven't actually legalized it. They're going to vote on if they le- want to legalize it on the 26th of this month. But everyone, especially in the U.S., everyone thinks of like Sweden and Norway and. Switzerland and all these countries in that region, 
everyone thinks of them as these liberal paradises where like like people act like racism and just discrimination in general just doesn't exist there and that's obviously not true or but i think i think it is going to happen on the 26th uh other countries in Europe, such as Germany, France, Austria, and even closer to them, the Netherlands, they've all, all legalized it. We've legalized it. I, I, don't, I don't see how this doesn't go through. I, I don't see another, uh, another avenue either. This feels just like a, time, a long time coming. Uh, but also, if that means that it's been taken to 2021 for, for the Swiss to, to give equality to, to their uh, gay citizens, you know, clearly there's some power structure keeping them out of the political arena. Uh, so clearly there has to be some pushback. Clearly there has to be some type of uh, opposition for this to be able to, for it to, you know, go to a referendum and, and, and reach all of these things. But... More often than not, I think when people are choi- are, are given the choice t- uh, as to whether to give rights to people via vote, uh, and all people, I'm not talking like a, a vote within Congress or a vote within a parliament or anything like that. Typically, wh- if you give people the choice to pick, to give themselves rights or to give others rights, people more likely than not like do the r- quote-unquote right thing here and they'll um uh they'll they'll side with like oh yeah we should we should have a little bit more equality like that like i feel like the independents who don't really you know there are some there are some people like when it comes to like gay rights and everything like that they're like oh, i don't care what you do like you can do whatever you want just don't bring it near me like i feel mm-hmm. like those people in my opinion are, are more likely leaning in that yes category where it's like yeah do what you want to do, like I like, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. There's there's a little bit of a difference. Uh, you want to talk some Jamie Spears, Britney Spears? Uh, well, the dad, Jamie Spears, because he's oh, I filed. Jamie was a sister. Ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Jamie is Papa Spears. Okay. And uh, he has filed to end Britney's conservatorship. That happened this week. He's been the primary conservator since 2008 um man i I don't know if you've been following the britney drama uh at all uh throughout the summer but like her speech over the summer empowering was powerful Mm -hmm. and you know she was fighting for this judge to get a new judge because the judge that he originally had had ties with her father and the conservatorship and then wouldn't you know it? The judge said, "We should not end this conservatorship." What are you talking about, Brittany? Yeah. And so then she got a new judge, and now there's been pressure. And now Jamie Spears wrote that his daughter is entitled to have this court now seriously consider whether this conservatorship is no longer conqu- uh, required. Um, recent events related to the conservatorship have been called into question whether circumstances have changed to such an extent that grounds for establishment of a conservatorship may no longer exist. Mrs. Miss Spears, Brittany, has told the court that she wants the control of her life back without the safety rails mm-hmm. of the conservatorship. So, uh, for those who aren't familiar, this conservatorship, you know, took a percentage of her money every time for whatever she did. And they told her what to wear, 
where to go, what to sing, what albums to include, what type of song she needed to do, what type of music video she needed to do. Oh, you you don't want to go on tour? Brittany, you have to go on tour, tour girl. Mm-hmm. Like, She's that level of abuse. It. The yeah. the the mental anguish, the physical anguish. You know, I, I think back to to the early two thousands, I think of Leave Britney alone. I don't know if you remember that video of like uh, the girl crying on her couch. I think so. Yeah, Maybe. so when Britney like had her <laughs> mental breakdown and she like shaves her head and does all that right. stuff and like she was getting like lampooned by the national media for uh-huh. whatever reason, for a haircut, first of all. Uh there was a YouTube video, one of the like OG OG YouTube videos, mm-hmm. and it's this girl with like a, a camcorder, and she's just on her face, and she's just crying. She's like, <laughs> "Leave Britney alone!" And she just says it over and over again, just crying. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I think of. And I was like, "Man, she was right. Yeah, we needed to leave right. Britney alone. Let her do her own thing." Honestly, when I first heard the free Britney hashtag, like you know, maybe a year ago, I was like, I didn't even look into it because I was like, oh, it's probably like fans of Britney making a big deal about like something that's not that serious. She's rich. She's famous. How bad could things be for her? And then, you know, I kind of started hearing more about it on social media and reading into it. And I was like, this poor woman, like while the whole world was mocking her for her like, you know, mental breakdown with like shaving her head and, you know, going a little crazy. Like, she was going through this whole thing with her with her family who was basically neglecting her needs so that, you know, they could, like, um, benefit off of her fame and her fortune. And, like, it was just really tragic to hear that, like, this adult woman basically had no control of her life. And it's bizarre that they got away for it f- with it for as long as they did. I, I, I think that... It's just, it takes time. And it, honestly, it takes people willing to listen, right? And like, you know, she was filing to end this conservatorship for a while. And it wasn't until she got her day in court and got to testify and with the cameras on her and say everything that she wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And it sucks that she had to do that in front of national TV. Yeah. Because, like, this is her personal life. She had to talk about how she couldn't do anything and how she didn't have control of her life. Um, I don't know. I think that if she, it it shouldn't have come to that point. And if we're going through the timeline of the summer, you know, they split up the conservatorship um, in which one is for her estate and financial affairs and the other is for her as a person. So what she's working on filing right now and I assume that the father and the Spears and the conservators will maintain their financial aspect. What I think they're going to do is still get their money from Brittany, but they'll be like, all right, Brittany, just go out and do your thing. Like, we'll let, we'll let you do that. So, like, there's, like, a it's a weird business model that the Spears are, are doing right now. Going back to the timeline, back in 2018, she won't, she said, or July 18th, she <laughs> said she wouldn't perform while her father rules her career and is in the conservatorship. She officially requested a new conservator on the 27th of July. Mm-hmm. Uh, in August, her father stepped down as a conservator uh, while she was pushing for a new drug, new uh, judge. And then on September 1st of this month, he was, quote, dragging his feet on ending the conservatorship. And then with a lot more pressure, 
couple days, two days ago on uh, Wednesday, he officially filed to end the conservatorship. So that's sort of the timeline here. And it just feels like, I don't know. I, I feel bad giving backlash for the backlash for the backlash here. <laughs> but to a certain extent, it feels like it's not very genuine. And it feels like they were just trying to figure out, okay, how can we still be profitable, still have some control over the Britney, Ste- Britney Spears brand without making it seem like we're abusing her? Right. It- if I may interject, I feel yeah. like this conservatorship, because Britney Spears was pretty much on top of the world around like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yes, sir. But that mm-hmm. didn't last for a huge amount of time. And I feel like a major factor in that was the conservatorship. She's just like, why bother? My dad's in control of everything. So like, what's the point of fame if you can't even enjoy any of it, you know? Yeah, I think it was really interesting the way um, that the general public kind of, like, switched up on TikTok um, because she would post these videos where, I don't know, there was something, like, weird about the videos, like, the way she was talking, the way she was standing, like, and, you know, at first people were jokingly saying, like, Brittany, is this a cry for help? And then (laughs) at one point, like... Oh, it was. It is. Um, is, Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, yes. I don't know. I just feel bad for this poor woman. I hope that like things get better for her. I can't even imagine. Me Um, Yeah. Well, um, just a quick little note on on some of the uh, last little bits before we have to sign off here. Uh, The U.S. debt ceiling is rapidly approaching, says Secretary Treasury Janet Yellen. Uh, this is one of the first calls for fiscal responsibility that we've seen probably since the Obama era. Um, and it's really interesting coming from a Democratic uh, person in the cabinet. It uh, says that we need to watch the spending, um, or at least the debt ceiling. So the amount that we collect in debt before the economy goes. So um, that's it's interesting, and it's not necessarily... I, I don't know, because it, it feels like we haven't really cared about money for, for a while in this country. We just sort of, we need to help the people. We have a lot of issues. Spend the money. Like, that yeah. seems to me, like, where we're, where we're at right now. Um, I don't know. Do you? I know we're not, like, big financial bros, Sibyl, <laughs> but you have anything on, on fiscal responsibility or the idea of whether or not, you know, tying between making sure that we're spending enough on the people but not, you know, wrecking our government's finances. Yeah, I mean, that's like a tricky topic for me to talk on because like <clears throat> most of the pe- most of the time I'm just going to say give the people what they need. Um what you know, I don't really know that much about the economy that I would not say that, but I guess like debt is a big issue, so we do even as Democrats have to like you know, stay on top of that. Um, I don't know. I guess that's the most I could say about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think that this has been such a fun show. Another mm-hmm. week uh, in the books. Oh, my goodness. Um, Dexter, uh, thank you so much again uh, for your report. It was phenomenal. Thank you so much uh, to Professor Keith Scott and uh, Kenatsu uh, for sitting down with Dexter talking about some international stories. We'll have more guests, more news, everything like that coming up. 
Do not go anywhere because Off the Charts starts right now. In the words of my father, go be good out there. Go learn something, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you all next week.